Welcome to What Magnificence with Chase Thornock, where we help high-achieving executives and entrepreneurs find answers to their most vexing health problems through the power of what if. Now, here's your host, Chase. Hey guys, welcome to What Magnificence. This is Chase Thornock. I'm excited to have you here today. Uh, Today's what if is a quote, um, and the quote basically is all about the mind. I, I think... I think you can probably see a pattern in the way that we're doing these things. It's from A.D. Alawat in Limbo, and it says, Our breath serves the mind, not the other way around. It's, it's intriguing to think about that, right? The breath serves the mind. The mind does not serve the breath. And I think this is something that we've discovered over time here as we've discussed a lot of the topics we've discussed a lot of times our mind does a much better job at, it, at inhibiting than it does at encouraging. So think about that as you do your breathing. Let your breath serve your mind. So today I'm really excited to have my good friend Brent Fries with me today, Dr. Fries. And uh, I wanted to get Brent on the show because Brent has a wide variety of expertise when it comes to the body. Um, we have been We've had some good times doing some cold together. I remember Brent uh, Brent was like, I've got a waterfall near my house. Come stand in that waterfall. And I thought, I've been, I've been doing cold therapy for a long time. You know, that's not going to be any problem. And so we got, do you remember this? We, yeah. get to the, we get to this waterfall, which was like, I don't know, it was a mile hike up to that thing. Yeah. And we're standing under this waterfall in, I don't know, May, something like that, kind of springtime. And uh, we get into this waterfall, and it just, like, punished me. It was brutal. It's intense. And you told me that before we got there. You're like, this waterfall, it's a lot, you know? And there's just the pressure of the water and the cold. But you were a champ. Thanks. You killed it. (laughs) And then the other week, he sends me this picture of him laying in the snow and his two boys with shovels, right? Dumping snow onto him. I think that one got you pretty good, though, right? That one uh, surprised me. Surprised me how horrific it was afterwards, but, <laughs> but I came through it. <laughs> well, I asked him, I asked him today, I was like, Brent, how long were you in the snow? You know? And he's like, ah, you know, I don't know. It was like five to eight minutes. So anyway, when you experience the cold, maybe don't go that long. That's a long time. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. So in today's conversation, we're going to continue um, some of our previous discussions on muscles, joints, all of those types of things. Um, another thing Brent and I have in common is that we were on the ballroom dance team, uh, the world champion ballroom dance team together. And we had that same trainer, Ron, that I've discussed previously, yes. who helped to kind of open my mind to some of this muscle work stuff. And I know you've, you've actually interned with him. Is that the right way? Apprenticeship? Yeah. With apprenticeship, him? intern, whatever. Yeah. Just gone and, and learned from him hands on while he's treating patients. And this was after you had already gotten your doctor of chiropractics, right? Yes. Yeah, I'd actually thought about it for a couple of years because he, yeah, like you say, he was the one that was like, wow, to be able to put your hands on people and have a knowledge and help them so much, that's what kind of inspired me to get into the career that I'm in. But obviously getting out of school, it's just kind of run for the, what you can and make your best of it, right? So just working, working, working. And then finally with the slowdown of COVID, I, I was like, I really want to, uh, you know, get to see Ron. And so I went and, and touched base with him and went and and worked with side by side with him for a few months, um, probably six or eight months. That was awesome. 
to, to be there with him. So he was kind of the impetus to get into chiropractics, one of many, probably. You probably had a lot of different things. And then once once you did kind of schooling, what what was the impetus to try to go back and learn from him after you've already learned, you know, so much through years of school? Yeah, I think Ron, uh, as he will say, it's a bit, there's a, a lot more hands-on time. And actually, mm. like, and and correcting multiple things in one session. Um, lots of chiropractors are great. Um, so as a whole, chiropractic is awesome. But I've seen how dozens and dozens of them work. And a lot of times, just quick adjustment, right? And just popping some joints, um, which can be helpful, has its benefits. Sure. Um, but without really correcting things specifically and working in the muscles at the same time, then I, I don't think it has a big benefit. So that's what inspired me. I just seen kind of the lacking in just just getting just an adjustment really quickly and the benefit and sustainability of what he was doing with patients. So that's what inspired me to go do that. Awesome. And what do you what do you feel like, you know, you're going you're, you're I'm I'm assuming he's having patients come in, right? You're working with him on the patients. What were some of the things that people were coming in for most often? What were some of the results that you saw there or some of the things that you learned from him most specifically? Yeah, I would say what expanded my vision to, because in school you learn how to work on everything, right? I mean, they, you learn every joint and every muscle in the body, and then you, you learn how to mobilize or adjust everything from you know, wrists and ankles, knees, hips, and in the back. But then, again, maybe for just the... Uh, the default of working people kind of lots of chiropractors are focusing just focusing just on the spine nothing else really uh-huh. um, so going back to ron he would treat everything coming in lots of it was for like hip pain and, and back pain um, but a lot of other, other things like i saw people with uh, like arthritic elbows right and the the rheumatologist had said really there's nothing you can do and they couldn't even open their elbow you know maybe past 60 degrees and he was just working on over time, mobilizing, working the muscles, and, and they were seeing huge gains and almost straight through the elbow, and like they hadn't had that in years. Um, and then beyond that, um, the, amazing, the most like kind of miraculous thing I was seeing was he was working with a, about a 13-year-old girl with cerebral palsy, um, uh-huh. pretty full body. I mean, she had to walk with kind of those hiker canes uh-huh. um, and, and couldn't stand up straight on her own, but he was just analyzing what muscles seem to be weak and inhibited and not working and just trying to give her simple things to do at home. And she was obviously very, very focused and dedicated. She would go home and do little simple exercises that he would have her do. And she was only coming like once every six weeks, I believe. But, and I saw her in that time frame a few times as she would come in and uh, she was making huge gains. And I think she's one of the few patients that he's still seeing and helping along because I, I don't, I can't imagine any other even manual therapists like really taking on a cerebral palsy. Yeah. I, I I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And so tell me, tell me more about the gains. Like what, what was happening that you would say, Oh, that's a significant change in her. Yeah. Oh, in her. Yeah. Yeah, She was able to, even just a few visits. So over a few months where I saw her come in, she went from be like not even being able to she if she was standing up without her canes, she had to be uh, against the wall. Okay. Hands against the wall, balancing using the wall. And then by the end of it, I mean, she was able to be standing on her own off the wall with no canes. And then she was able to take some minor steps 
like propelled on her own where before it was like if she even tried to in in get her inertia going without canes like she was fall, just gonna fall over um so to like she wasn't walking or running but sure. she was huge gains and then like one of her legs was severely where the, the knee locked right and it curved in it's a uh, called verum right it's curved cur- knee knee curved in okay um and that her leg was straightening because of just the muscle tone, right? She was gaining the muscle tone in the right muscles that were allowing her leg to be straighter. Oh, that's so cool. It was really awesome. And so all through all that, it was like, oh, wow, we can really work on other things besides just, just the spine, which is huge. Like helping people's spine is gigantic, but also help be able to like help people's, you know, all sorts of things is, is, was eye opening. Um, and more like a reboost for me to be like, okay, yeah, I can do this. I do have knowledge. I learned this stuff. Now I just got to trust that I can figure things out uh-huh. and work on people in this way. That's fascinating. Yeah, I. <laughs> so I had I had the experience just barely, which I think a lot of us have, where um, you know the person with the tennis elbow. I'm sorry, the arthritic elbow, mm-hmm. right? Goes to the rheumatologist. The rheumatologist says, eh, "Not much you can do about it." Maybe here's a steroid, maybe here's some pain management medications, um, and you just got to deal with it, basically, right? And I think I've heard that before in my life. I think a lot of my audience has heard that, you know, they're active, right? You, You guys out there are active, you're skiing, you're hiking, and then all of a sudden you break. And we've talked about this phenomenon of criticality, where the body's ability to adapt is incredible, right? It's one of the greatest skills that we have um as as a race but the problem is is it adapts and adapts and adapts then when it finally fails it's hard for us to follow that chain back to what caused the issue originally but quite honestly it's usually just repetitive overuse that ends up breaking it down all that to come back to that cerebral palsy right as soon as you mentioned cerebral palsy i had that initial reaction of there's nothing you can do about that right like this is (laughs) <laughs> far beyond someone's tennis elbow, right? This is a defect from birth mm-hmm. and something that we consider permanent and something that, you know, has very you know limited possibilities for, for success in helping. That's really cool. That's really cool. That opens my mind a bit to this too. So um, now as you've kind of gone on and I know you, you see patients regularly, what what kind of success have you seen in your own practice with some of these ideas about, hey, maybe this problem isn't something that's mechanical that cannot be fixed, right? Maybe we can fix this. What are some things that you've experienced? Well, I would say an interesting connection of mind-body that has happened recently this, this, this year uh, was kind of tying in my... my uh, little knowledge of like Eastern medicine. I am uh, certified in acupuncture also. I didn't know that. But right. yeah, so that's I, cool. I do a okay. little bit of that. Um, and in Eastern medicine, they, there's lots of, you know, obviously the organ systems and the meridians and stuff. They also, but the general term, they talk about the left hemisphere of the body being the female side and the, and the male uh, side on the right. And then they also, you, you've probably taught, I know you and I have talked about the, um, the book that the body keeps the score, right? Mm. Yes. And so with a few patients, if, if I'm, if I'm feeling comfortable enough and I, and I think there might be an emotional connection, I broached that with them. And there was this one lady, um, she had to come out just for like hip, hip pain and, uh, worked on her for a few sessions and she was getting some improvement, but not like huge gains. 
and uh, and I was working the muscles there on her right hip, and the muscles felt like tighter and ropier and just a different texture than I'd ever felt. Really, I was like, wow, this is just different. Different, yeah, yeah. And I so I kind of broached it with her again. It's not every patient, but some patients I'm like, hey, you know, the body you know, can keep the score of emotional trauma. Is there a possibility? It's on your right side. Is there a male figure in your life that caused some trauma? And immediately she was like, well, you know, 15 years ago, my husband, my ex-husband cheated on me and all this stuff. And, and, you know, she, so she's like, maybe that's what I'm holding on to. And there, around that time, there was some anniversary of either their anniversary or, or when she when they divorced or something was coming up and so things were were flared up so i was like was wow. she aware of that before the conversation that that like was she hmm was she frontal lobe aware of that anniversary no. okay yeah no i mean she was just thinking i have hip pain right and that's and all. then as you started to discuss it then she's like oh actually there's there's a re- there's a timing event that's happening here too okay yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. then to tie it in. So then as the, as things went on, she ended up going seeing, uh, she was, she was started going to a therapist and, uh, she went to another, you know, natural, naturalistic practitioner, like a foot zoner. And they were finding similar, similar things. And I mean, you've talked about different therapy types, right? I've never done EMDR mm-hmm. personally, right? but, and she had years in the past and one session in the uh, after we had kind of broached the subject, I was really working on those muscles, kind of like just harder than I'd had worked on those muscles before. And she was just silent. I think she was face down on the table, and I was working. And that's impressive because that's a, that's painful. Like that yeah. is intense. She was silent, and then she just the the visit ended, and and she was just like thanks, and and then she left. And then on the next visit, she's like, I had to kind of process things. Because during the last visit, when you were working those muscles, I was going through an EMDR session. She, she oh, said that's she would cool. have EMDR, she would hold the the prongs or the the things, and like basically her her experience with the EMDR when she actually got it was she was going through kind of almost like tunnels of memory tunnels, and it would stop at memories, and then she would it would go through a different memory tunnel, and then it would stop. While I was working on her muscles, it was going through this EMDR experience, and and going back to these memories. Yeah. And so uh, it would, and all all until I mean it came that, you know, she ended up, she was in a relationship with a boyfriend, currently, and, anyways, her body was telling her that even that relationship was flawed, dangerous, and, and he was, and then as she opened up to that possibility, she came and found out that he was cheating on her. Oh and wow! It was an unfaithful relationship, and she needed to get out of that. So it was, all in all, like trying to heal a body, she ended up empowering herself to heal and then she had a she got an accident and but all she just felt so and then the accident led her to um a practitioner that does emotion code but she's like i'm way better off than i was and if i hadn't been doing this stuff to like heal emotionally and physically she's like i i would have like the the accident would have wrecked me it was just interesting like there's a, I think there's a connection. That's really fascinating. So I, I want to back up just a little bit and talk about some of these these treatments, just to give kind of a basic underlying. You talked about EMDR, 
And EMDR is a therapy type where um, bilateral stimulation is introduced to the body, to the subject, right? And this may be in the form of eye movement back and forth, like the rapid eye movement you have when you sleep. Um, you also talked about the, uh, the tactile buzzers. You can hold those in your hands and they'll buzz, 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 hand to hand. You can tap your knees. And then you go and revisit some traumatic experiences that have happened in the past. Now, for me, you know, we've talked about acupuncture, even EMDR. Initially, when I started down my journey, these were really hard for me, right? It seemed to me like this was kind of magic. You know what I mean? There was no physiological pathway that I understood by which these things were operating. And since we're talking about it, I think it's helpful to understand that you know, in the book, The Body Keeps the Score, when there is a response that happens to the body, a traumatic response, it goes into fight or flight, right? Fight or flight activates the sympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic nervous system, you've got really two to three options. You run, you fight, or you hide, right? Uh, or freeze, I guess. I'm sorry, it's the last one. You freeze. And that's great. That's meant to keep you alive. And then once that process is over, because it's shifted all of your resources away from your internal organs so that you're ready to fight and run, um, your body has to get those resources, all that blood back to your internal core, right? And so there's an activation of your parasympathetic nervous system to bring you back. If your body does not have an opportunity to do that in a way that's connective or the trauma is repeated over and over again, then that can become stuck as a conditioned response. And so you talked about this, this, this woman having this experience where an anniversary was coming up. That became a conditioned response for her that she wasn't even aware was happening, right? Subconsciously, there was a trigger, her body started to respond and it responded through a fight and flight response. The cool thing about that is initially, when we have a sympathetic response, we have a massive anti-inflammatory effect in our bodies. You have cortisol and adrenaline, and those drop inflammation amazingly. But if that continues on, inflammation levels start to creep up, right? Mm -hmm. And she was obviously experiencing pain and inflammation in her hip. Now, the level to which those are correlated, was it physical, was it mental, was it, how was this all going together? I think you guys saw, it's yes, right? It was all of it. There was, there was a component that was going on. And again, I think it's become to our disservice a bit that we've tried to separate so clearly, this is a mental problem, or this is a physical problem. And for me, the way that I was thinking about these things, it was helpful for me to understand that physiological pathway. Because, and that, that's what this show is all about, right? It's about asking the question, what if? What if it doesn't make sense to your left brain, right? What if it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to try it? And she was, mm -hmm. and to her benefit. Yep. That's really incredible to me. Yeah, I, it was, that was the closest where I was, I saw the connection someone was making and they were real and then validated over time and different experiences she was having and it led to changes in her life that I definitely think that maybe more, we could say more often than not, there is, there's definitely an emotional component to our physical ailments and vice versa. Hmm. You know, we, we talk about when we first go to get mental help, um, you know, a lot of times it's with a cognitive behavioral talk therapy kind of situation. And it's fascinating to me that like, if we look at, you know, 
evolutionary processes or just the advancement of man throughout time, language was the last one that came along, right? That, that's the most recent thing that we've developed. And it happens to be the thing that we try to fix the things the most, if that makes any sense, right? So we're using the least adaptive part of our brains, the most new part of our brains to try to solve all of these problems. Where I wanna point out when she was laying on that table and going through that visualization part, the body really doesn't understand language. Language, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. If you tell someone the word pain, obviously we can come up with an image of what that is like, but it's a different experience to seeing somebody in pain. Mm-hmm. The body clearly recognizes when someone else is in anguish and it responds, even though it is not in pain itself, right? And so the imaging that she was doing, the visualization that she was doing is something that the body understands, mm-hmm. at least in my experience, far better than language. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Okay. So for, for, for everyone at home who's saying, well, hopefully step one is awareness, right? I, I think a lot of times we experience pain in our bodies and we ignore it as long as we can until it fails. So first step is kind of awareness, but for those sitting at home who are experiencing pain, right? Whether it's, and I think commonly there's back pain, people experience hip pain, people experience, you know, knees, ankles, elbows, they may have gone to their orthopedic, right? They may have gone to a rheumatologist and heard there's really nothing they can do. What advice would you give to someone like that? Yeah, I would say that the advice I'd say is to try the full spectrum at different points. You don't have to go and do see every type of practitioner is out there. But I would say that often as any practitioner gets, we're going to get siloed a little bit into what we do. And that's natural. I mean, if someone's a, a salesman for their company, they're just really good at sales and maybe they could never handle an HR problem, right? But HR yeah. people could never sell a thing for, for the, the life of them. <laughs> so a chiropractor might see everything as like, oh, joints and muscles and, a, and an orthopedist might see, okay, just like, is there damage in the joint? And, and if there's not, well, then there's nothing to do. So you can definitely try and see different practitioners. I... Um, was just meeting with another colleague uh, earlier that he worked specifically on like the upper neck. And there are things that there's a um, pseudo pseudo tumors is a condition where basically people have symptoms as if there was a tumor growing in their brain, right? The pressures that that causes and the different types of symptoms and pain that that would be associated with that. They have those symptoms, but there's no tumor growing. Okay. Hmm. So you go see a neurologist and they do MR, MRIs, or CTs, and nothing shows up. Right. Like, okay, well, you have pseudo, um, I'm totally forgetting the pseudo tumors, but there's a full name for it. And, well, then they leave it at that. Well, what are you going to do? You can take some medications, again, pain meds, maybe to manage that, or some anti-nausea, if the nausea is what. So what are the symptoms I get? So nausea, obviously, and some yeah, pain. Yeah, headaches, um, pressure in the brain, okay. right? and feeling like those things. So uh, tumors in the head, mainly, is what we're... That they're looking for and experiencing yeah, symptoms. Yeah, because there's a there's a correlation of symptoms that would lead one to think that you have something going on. Vision issues, yeah. maybe. Okay, okay. Now, um, the same thing with like um, impedance in the blood flow of the brain could cause it. So basically, he looks at it from a different perspective, saying if the upper neck, 
right, where you have the um, the carotid artery going through and and the jugular vein coming down. If those if there's such misalignment up there that there could be pressure, and you have a, a styloid process coming down from your skull even, and and that attaches the ligaments. Like there's enough stuff going up there where it could be literally impeded, like the blood flow. Huh. And he's had he had patients that went for for a couple of years with these symptoms and going to neurologists and they have nothing for them. And literally the, the, my chiropractic friend does the x-rays and does the specific adjustment and corrects the misalignment up there. The guy gets off the table and there are no symptoms. The blood flow is restored and no symptoms. And he's like, hmm. how did they miss this? Yeah. And it's not like any fault to them. It's just, they weren't looking in the same way that he was looking. So even though you go to like the top specialist and they have a bunch of letters behind their name. There are lots of different letters put behind names, and they're, they're just going to look at things differently. So that's my advice is if someone's like, oh, I got this crazy doc that does this crazy stuff, and you've tried everything else, well, be open to trying it because hmm. you might just get off the table and be out of pain. And feel good. Yeah. Now, I, I think at the beginning of my health journey, I had this experience where <laughs> I had Two, two main thoughts. The first was, I want to be able to control what's happening so that I can derive causation, right? So if I'm on a medication to try to treat my autoimmune disease, I'm not going to try other things because then that's going to mess up kind of my, my results, right? Um, and then eventually as I got more and more ill, and I think, you know, some of my listeners are probably having this experience, you just don't care anymore, right? You're so sick, that you're like, is this going to kill me or I'm going to find the answer and I don't care what it is, right? The second thought that I often had was if it's placebo effect, it doesn't count, <laughs> right? Mm. And in, in the previous show, I discussed how, um, you know, we don't, when we do surgeries, there's no requirement to have a placebo control for a surgery. And that makes sense because you would have to cut somebody open right? To have a placebo. But there have been surgeries where we've done that, right? Where you have a procedure done and then you have a sham procedure done to act as the placebo. And what we found was that in over half of the procedures done, there was no difference between the placebo, the sham surgery, and the, you know, the repairing of the tennis elbow, right? Or the snipping of the meniscus in the knee. These minor surgeries that we are doing these orthopedic treatments we're finding out are probably mainly placebo effect. Now, for me, that doesn't discount the surgery. For me, what it actually does is it empowers the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. What I see there is that the placebo effect can also be called something else, and that is the power of the mind, yeah. right? That is the power of the mind. And when I talk about mind, I'm not talking about our left brains. I'm not talking about our conscious, yeah, frontal <laughs> lobe. I'm talking about our subconscious. I'm talking about the mind tissue, the neurons that we have in our guts, yeah. right? You have five times as many neurons in your intestines as you do your spinal cord. Yeah. This is the mind work, right? And it's incredible the power that it has over our bodies through, through what we call placebo effect. So I say all of that to kind of just point out that if you're going and seeing a practitioner that falls into these realms of, for me, it was like, I, this is out there, right? I don't understand the mechanism by which this is, this is working. Obviously, do your homework to make sure that it's safe. If you go and see these, these practitioners, try to open your mind to the possibility that it could work, right? That there's that what if. And that's been my experience too. And some have been more impactful than others, 
right? And I've had friends where something's worked for them and it hasn't necessarily worked for me. That's okay. But um, my wife, we were talking this morning and she said something really great. She said, well, if you do nothing, then nothing will happen, mm-hmm. right? And so often we're scared and paralyzed to try anything and our, our brains kind of talk us out of that process. Yeah. Hmm. That's like fantastic. That. That's really cool. Well, Brent, thank you for your time today. How can, uh, how can people hear more about you or find out more about the work that you're doing? Yeah, they can just uh, Google my name online and uh, I have some YouTube videos and uh, more will be coming. But yeah, Brent, B-R-E-N-T, Fries, F-R-I-E-S-S. Awesome. Thank you. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you. So until next time, everyone, take care of your body. Take care of your mind. Listen to your body more and your brain less. And use the power of what if. Talk to you guys next time.